this week, Friday, um, Zeke and I were the first ones home, and uh, I, as I went over to the kettle to go make a cup of tea, I said, uh, hey, Zeke, would you like a cup of tea? And he said, no, thanks, Dad. There's a w- there was something in his voice that didn't sound right, so I said, Zeke, what's up? Um, hadn't, hadn't seen him yet, hadn't, but just had heard something in his voice. He came out to me, and um, with tears in his eyes, shared how he had done something silly and then got told off for it. And the only way that he could unburden himself of his silly actions and being told off was through confession, through face-to-face, Dad, you need to know, or Mom needs to know, but you got to me first, um, what has been going on in my life. And the only way to kind of release that load off of himself, off of his heart and mind, was to share it, to confess it would be the word that we might share. The same thing happens uh, over the last term. NASA's been quite busy with universe, university, which is uh, what many of you understand. Uh, the, the difficulty has sometimes been on Saturdays, Ezekiel has uh, Saturday morning games, and NASA still has three other children, their birthday parties and all sorts of things. So sometimes she's had to miss some basketball games, and Zeke then would come home to mom. Mom would say, how did the game go? And he would not so much confess as much as he would celebrate how he, you know, led the team to victory and scored so many points. And, and it's not so much getting a burden off of the heart and off of the mind as much as it is sharing in the celebration and joy that's resting on the heart and the mind. You need to know how amazing it was. And this is what I did. And then I made this pass and then this shot. And then that team was like marking me with two guys because I was being so good and and then you just sit there as a dad knowing, oh, well, next week's probably going to be pretty bad as pride comes before a fall. Um, just, uh, I'm not joking, but we need to learn those lessons too. <laughs> Kids interact with their parents. They, they have to. They want to. They need to. They, whether it's confession, whether it's celebration, there's something in them that needs to ooze out of them, mostly through words, sometimes ju- just through hugs and cuddles. Uh, I remember once when I almost got into a fight, uh, a fist fight through my own uh, doing, my own mouthiness, uh, and I got home from a, a very, you know, it, it was, you're 16, you're at a house party, you're, you're super cool, you almost got in a fight, that's going to get around the whole school, and when I got home, I had no words. All I needed to do was get uh, around my mom and hug her, and I needed her to hug me. I needed to know I was safe. Um, weirdest night of my, of my life. Uh, I had no words, though, to share, but I needed to make that connection. Uh, There were more words shared in that hug than I've probably said to my mom ever in my life. Um, But that's a connection that needs to be made. At the moment, in Australia, there's a movement uh, called, there's an abbreviation like everything, it's spiritual, but not religious, uh, SBNR movement. I'm spiritual but not religious. Australians don't want to be unspiritual. They don't want to be atheists. They, uh, that, that's not attractive in our culture. Or you're an athe- no one wants to put up their hand and say, I'm an, I'm an atheist. They want to be spiritual, but they don't want to be religious. Uh, this, and Hugh McKay has written a book. Um, Hugh McKay is a popular Australian sociologist and philosopher, and, and he's written a book called Beyond Belief, where basically he says, in summary, we need the church in Australia. The church is good for Australia. Um, 
it's, it does, and then it kind of lists all the things that it's, it, that it's good at in terms of bringing community get together and doing good through that community. But we don't need the personal God the church offers. We don't need the rules the church offers. That's stuff we can give or take, but we still need the institution of the church. And he basically goes on to describe how we have changed and therefore our religion must change. And what he's saying is, uh, we have changed, it literally, I, I don't have notes here, so I can't read you the quote, but it's almost word for word like this. We have changed, therefore the definition of God must change. In other words, what he's saying is, when you're spiritual, God can be whatever you need Him to be. And as you change, that God will change. Because ultimately, now this is not what he's saying, but my commentary on what he's saying is ultimately your God is yourself. Your God is like uh, Captain Marvel. If you haven't watched the movie, I won't give it, won't give it away. But in, in Captain Marvel, basically, everyone sees the supreme being that they want to see. No one knows what the supreme being looks like until they go have a meeting with the supreme being and everyone sees a different supreme being. That's spirituality without religion. The supreme being is an unknown. You'll only know when you look inside your heart what God is like. We're happy to be spiritual but not religious. Jesus doesn't allow us to be spiritual and not religious. So if, if almost every single Australian will say, uh, that they pray. Tim Keller says there's a poll taken. Uh, obviously, his statistics are coming from mostly America and then a, a more specifically in New York, which is secular and not that dissimilar to a Perth-type culture um, in terms of beliefs. Almost everyone says they pray. But by that, they don't mean they pray to a personal being as much as they, they're talking about being spiritual but not religious. So, so almost all Australi Australians will say they're Christians, but nine out of ten, less than, more than nine out of ten, don't attend church. And in Perth, the statistic is much less. It's under three percent would, would attend church. That's spiritual, but not religious. That's, I'm not an atheist, but I'm not a believer. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Jesus opens up uh, an answer. The disciples will start growing up. And as you grow up, you ask better questions. And the disciples ask probably the best question they've ever asked, which is a question about prayer. One of the best questions they've asked. And Jesus gives them a a, an interesting answer, a delightful answer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. That's as far as I want to go this morning with the text. They ask him a great question, teach us how to pray. They're really growing up. They're becoming, uh, yeah, just mature in their understanding of who he is. And Jesus answers, when you pray, say, Father. He basically, in one word, illegitimizes nine out of ten Australians' ideas about belief by saying, Father, you cannot have, uh, in a sense, a belief that doesn't have a person. Uh, you can't be spiritual but not religious. Did you, 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 it's personal. 
You can't be a child in someone's family without a parent. It's personal. It's relational. Uh, now, religion, as far as rules and laws and institutions go, I think most of us would admit, we, you know, give or take that idea of it. But as far as relationship goes, as far as our faith in Jesus leads us to relationship with God, that is not changeable, is unchanged. Yesterday, today, and forever, no matter how much I change, He will never change. In fact, as I journey through life through the Holy Spirit, He's changing me to be more like Him. That's the opposite of spirituality, where the older I get, He changes more to be more like me. And Jesus flips it upside down and says, when you pray, say, Father. That's a stumbling block. At least notice it. If you're a Christian here today, which is most of everyone, then at least notice it. Firstly, notice that what you mean by prayer and what nine out of ten Australians mean by prayer is entirely different. They're polar opposite. They're black and white apart. One is a God made in my own image. The other is a God in whose image I'm made and need to come back to. They're completely different. Secondly, the one is a relationship with myself, but the other one is a relationship with Him. And thirdly, just notice, it's about family. Father. Father was a very revered uh, person in the Jewish society. The patriarch, the father of the family was honored. So there's three points I want to make today about family. Number one, families have fathers. Number two, families have children. And number three, families have stories that need to be told. All right, families have fathers. Depending on your relationship with your father that you've had, you have certain ideas about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, it's best case scenario. The best you can possibly imagine about a father. Everything your heart longs for in having a good father. Everything you can imagine if you are going to be a father. Um, if, if you've had a father. Everything you could long for is found in that being of father. My dad was uh, born into a British family. Uh, obviously, British families back in the day were a little bit conservative with their love. They didn't necessarily uh, say much about it or show much about it. They more kind of provided things for you to, to show you you were loved. And so one of the things that they would provide for you to show you that you were loved is a good education. And so he was sent away from home at age five to go to boarding school and stayed in boarding school till he, was, uh, till he graduated at 17 or 18. And so never really grew up in his own house. Um, and didn't really know his father. And, and his father wasn't a Christian man, but he was a good man. Um, my granddad was a, 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 a kind man, a good man. He, he did good in society, but he wasn't a, a Christian man. Uh, he didn't have faith. Until the last couple of days of his life. In the last couple of days in his life, my father was able to share the gospel with him. Uh, and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior through grace alone. He was 80-something years old. He spent his whole life on himself, and by God's grace, he gave him salvation in his dying days. What a generous and merciful God. 
And straight after that, you want to see a change of heart. How quickly can people change in relationship with God? Immediately. Straight after that, uh, after becoming a Christian, the first words he said to my father were, Tom, I love you. It was the first time in my dad's 40-something years alive that he'd ever heard his father say to him, I love you. But you know what that did to my father as a father? You know what that absence did of a child, of not hearing that as a child? Every single night of my life, my father would come to my bed and say, Mark, I love you. Do you understand that? And most of my life, I I just received it. Yes, that's great. Thank you. Um, But at about 13, I realized it had nothing to do with me. He He needed to know that I knew he loved me. As much as I needed to know he loved me, he needed to know that I knew that he, because he never knew that himself growing up. And when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, it's not my granddad type father. He's absent. Don't worry. Your, your needs will be provided. You won't really know him, but you'll get looked after. And maybe once in your life, if you're lucky, you will have a sense that you are loved and you might even get a cuddle. And it's not even my father that out of his need, out of his lack, he, he kind of overcompensates because he has a need to know that I know that I'm loved. It's something much greater and much purer. You have a loving father who has no needs but chooses you creates you, calls you to himself. But the other thing about a father is that the father is the head of the family. Again, don't paint it in the filters of bad experiences. Allow God to be God, not what we imagine, not not what we see in society, not the abuses that we've uh, understood or, or been exposed to. Allow God to be who he is, And he is the leader of our family. And he is the best leader you could possibly have. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, benevolent, kind, generous, merciful, holy, and pure. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows you inside and out. He has plans for you that you can't even imagine. And he's your father. And that means that you're submitted to him. That means that you're under him. And that means that when I come to pray and when you come to pray and and, and we start by father, what we're doing is we're bringing our whole lives, everything in our lives, everything within our touch, everything in our bank accounts, everything in our cupboards, everything uh, in our treasure boxes, all of our relationships, all of our hopes and dreams, we're bringing all of them before him and we're saying, father, here I am. Have your will, have your way in me. And if, we, if we're not doing that, we're not letting him be father. Do you understand that? If one of my children come to me, and they decide, you know, I say, they say, they come and they say, hey, Dad, anything that you want for me today? Yes, boy, please go clean your room. No, thanks. That's my room. I'll do with it like I want. I mean, other things, other things in my life you'd like to speak into. Um, 
No, just, just go tidy your room. No, no, no. That, that's, that's mine. I'm not bringing that under your leadership. That's under my leadership. The other parts of my life you can speak into. Do you see how ridiculous it is? And most of this morning is going to be a little bit ridiculous as we imagine what, what it's like. When we come to the Father, there's only one way to come with everything. And even if we leave things behind, the fact that He's our Father means they're all included anyway. Do you know what it's called when a child comes and says, what, Dad, any, anything you want, anything? Yeah, go tidy your room. No, thanks. That's just called disobedience. That's not called a good decision. That's not called, you know, freedom, liberty, grace. It's just called disobedience. And it becomes obedience when their heart changes and they just go do what the Father asks. Right? So regardless of your standing with God, regardless of what you bring to God, regardless of your performance that you come with, regardless, He's your Father who's over all things and who loves you crazily. And Jesus breaks down any idea of spirituality by saying, when you come to Him, pray, Father. Not put your palms together so that your thumbs are touching, put it on your chest bone and think about everlasting love as the Buddhists say. No, when you come, say, Father, bring yourself into a relationship. Can you do that? Have you spoken to someone today? I mean, Chris said he's an introvert, but he spoke quite well on the microphone, I thought. He's spoken to all of you already today. Could you speak to someone else? I mean, would you have a conversation today? You'd be okay. Good. Then you're well on your way to knowing how it is to speak to your Father. Take a breath. You have to write down what you're going to say. No, you don't have to write down what you're going to say. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes life gets busy and you forget about things. Sometimes when I go on dates with Nas, I have to write down things I want to talk about because by the time we get there, I can't remember anything. It doesn't mean I love her less or the relationship is less romantic. It just means my brain is limited. If you want to write some things down, write them down. But then take a breath. Open your mouth. And say something. Hey, Father. Thanks that I can come talk to you. What a privilege. Father, I don't really have a good dad. I mean, I did, but maybe this is you. I don't really have a great dad. I don't really know how to think of you. Could you help me with that? I know you can transform my mind. I know, I know through your word you can do that. I know you can leave me without any uh, dislocation from understanding of what it is like to have a dad. Please help me, God. Father, today's a bit busy. Could you help me with my decisions? You promised to give your spirit. Anyway, let's move on to number two. Families have a father. It's not spiritual, it's relational. Not spiritual in the, in the way that Hugh McKay is describing spirituality. Number two, families have children. Children are weird. That's not offensive because I used to be a child. In fact, I really am still a child. I have parents, you have parents, as Josh likes to point out. Uh, anyone who has a mom, raise your hand. Everyone has a mom. Some of you didn't even think of raising your hand. There's a problem there. We are all children, right? 
But you also have to learn how to be children. There's a couple of things I want to point out about our children. But before I do that, I want to give you 30 seconds to turn to the person next to you. And sorry if you're an introvert and, and, and uh, you don't want to do this. You're going to have to do it anyway. It's too late now. And talk about one thing that uh, defines a child. If you think of a child, what is one thing that defines them? Okay. Just just shout out a couple of answers. What are children? Children are or needy. Both my two. Who do you think their dad is? Children are needy. My children are apparently needy. Um, energetic. Who? Relentless. Carefree. They are, Gary? Height. Oh, they're short. <laughs> they're little. Pardon? They're expensive. Talkative. They do silly things. Lack guile. Yeah, lack guile. Okay, so children. I just want to point out a couple of things about kids. Uh, because when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, the other thing that you have to do is not only know that God is a Father that will not ever change, that is over all things, that you can speak to. The other thing you have to do is you have to learn to be a child. Jesus said this a number of times. He, in fact, he said that if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we have to learn to become like a child. Jesus loved children. In a society that dismissed children, that thought nothing of children, Jesus loved them and said to the disciples, unless you become like them, you can't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let the little children come unto me. It's fantastic. And so children come with all these flaws, uh, which they're not too sophisticated to cover up, but Jesus loves them. Here's a couple of things about children. Number one, which help us, help you, help me with prayer. Number one, children ask. They are curious and they are hedonists, and they are needy, and they have desires, and they ask for stuff all the time. Do you know that uh, we probably take our children to KFC once a year? It, it takes about another year to stop regretting the decision you made, and then you go do it again. So we do that, then we think, what are we doing to our lives, and then we go back a year later. Do you know that every single Sunday, they say, before we leave the parking lot, can we go to KFC? No, we can't. They don't know when that one time in the year is coming, so they just have to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And no, never puts them off. Do you know how smart we are with our Calvinistic theology about the sovereignty of God, that when we go to Him and barely say anything, we go like, hey God, you're probably going to say no, but could I please move to Australia and go plant a church? Ah, doors don't seem to be opening. Okay, that's a no. Let me go do something else. That's unchildlike completely. What does a child do? Next Sunday. 
Can we go to KFC? It's not good for you. It's not healthy. Mum's going to make a healthy meal that costs half the price next Sunday. Can we go to KFC? Guys, don't you want to see your grandparents in America? If we don't go to KFC, we can save that money and have a better chance of going to America. Yay, we can go see your grandparents next week. Can we go to KFC? They never learn. Why? Because they trust. They don't want you to say yes all the time. They trust that you will say yes as often as possible. But they also understand that sometimes you'll say no. That gives them the freedom to ask. A child that has tantrums when mom and dad say no isn't a child that trusts. A child that can hear no just as well as they can hear yes doesn't mean they like it. They just can receive it. Is a child that trusts. But a child that doesn't ask has lost their childhood. It's the most natural thing in the world. One of the things I said to you uh, last week or the week before, and, and I won't get into too much now because we did then, is that it's not God who needs the question asked. God knows what He wants to give us. But he needs us to ask the questions. Just like baby Daniel, who I saw come in, hey, little guy, and he's staring at me. Oh, no, he's looking right past me. Never mind. Just like baby Daniel uh, starts, he's a bad example because he doesn't really cry much, but a baby that does cry, cries and then gets fed, cries and then has a diaper change, cries and then gets a warm blanket and then grows up a little bit and is able to use some words and feels scared and says, Dada, always first before mama because Dada's easier than mama and preferred. Um, that asks to play, they get a little bit older, can you please pray for me? For the first two years, dads are insignificant, they've got nothing a child needs, then the child becomes playful, and at about two years old, dad comes onto the scene, and mom becomes less significant, because all they can do is basically everything. Um, But the one thing dad can do is play, and that's better than everything. And then, dad, can you play? Ball, 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 ball. Endless. This is what do we know as parents? Oh, wrestling. What's it always going to end in? Tears. Okay, hardly any of you knew that. Uh, Wrestling always ends in tears. Do you think that stops children from asking to wrestle every day? No, it's worth it. But children need to ask because that's how children understand their identity in family, their identity in society their identity in themselves. By asking and receiving, they're practicing life. By asking and receiving, they're practicing faith. By asking and receiving, they're learning who they are. How else will they know to be loved except if they ask and receive? How else do they learn trust except if they ask and receive and sometimes ask and don't receive because it's not good for them? How else do they learn that they're in submission under authority unless they ask and learn that they have to wait to receive? They need it. And God has designed us to ask and to ask and to ask and to ask from birth. Because that's how we are formed and shaped. And as I said to you last week or the week before, Nas couldn't love our kids any more than when they came out of her. Which is, in my mind, I don't even understand because of what they did to her. She doesn't need them to ask so that she can learn to love them. 
She couldn't love them all. It's amazing to watch it even today when one of the children cost her how her response is love and grace. She's not learning to love them any more than she already does. She couldn't love them anymore. But they are learning to be loved. They are learning to love others. And we need to ask because that's how we learn about our Father. That's how we learn about His will. That's how we learn about His love. That's how we learn about His leadership. That's how we learn about His ways. When we ask and receive, we ask and obey, we learn nothing when we say, Father, shall I tidy up my life? I mean, I'm thinking of the room again. I'm just using the room because it's the endless analogy. It comes up all the time without exposing too many of my children's real life issues or my own. Father, shall I tidy my room? Yes, I think you shall. I'm a God of order, not of chaos. Probably misusing 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, no thanks. See ya. Not learning too much, but when we ask and we receive, whether we like it or not, that we receive the answer and we learn to live in God's will and God's ways. God, I don't know how to, I need your grace and your power for what you've called me to. I need your forgiveness for my attitude and, and the thing. God, and we ask and we ask, God, forgive me. Yeah, I forgive you. God, help me. I'd love to. God, show me. Okay. God, lead me. I will. And we ask and we ask and we ask. We're learning. If you want to learn about your father, plan to ask him a thousand questions in the next week. And don't stop. Don't stop. The other thing about kids is that they're straightforward. I'll move along quickly. Kids are straightforward. One of the most, um, let me be careful. I won't be careful. One of the most irritating groups of people in the world today are the manners police. Have you ever come across them? The please and the thank you police. They have like a badge that they can whip out and be like, you need to say please and you need to say thank you. They are some of the most unhelpful real life legalists around. Why? What does God say about us? He says to Samuel, as an example, let me just say, let me just take a step back. I was raised in a manners household. You know, stand up, sit down, thank you, please. Uh, it's very helpful as a way of getting by in life. It's good. So if you've learned manners, don't lose them. And if you're teaching manners, don't stop. I'm talking about the manners police. It's different. I'll show you. Um, so God says, he's talking to Samuel, and he wants to pick David. And Samuel can't figure out who's going to get anointed as king. And he can't, because he, and basically then eventually God comes to him and says, Samuel, Samuel, you're looking as man looks. Man looks on the outside. Man looks at behavior. I look at the heart. I'm picking someone by heart, not by the things you see, height and good looks and strength and intelligence. I'm looking at their heart and I pick David. And that's the manners police, will look on the, they look on the outside and they get the behaviors right and they don't look at the heart. And so you have a situation where, you know, someone comes and says, who'd like a cookie? And the child's pretty straightforward and says, yeah, I'd like one. And they say, well, what's the magic word? Not only are they manners police, they also teach witchcraft. <laughs> what's the magic word? 
Abracadabra. No. What's the magic word? In Jesus' name. No. Oh, gee, I don't know this one. Uh, say, please, Johnny. Please, Johnny. No, just please. Please. Yes, you're a good person. Good manners. Here's your cookie. That's the, you know, or Johnny comes and says, because kids are straightforward, see someone with a packet of cookies, says to dad and mom, can I have one? I don't know. Go ask. And they run across to the person with a package of cookies that uh, can't wait to teach children all their manners. And they come across and they say, may I have a cookie? And they say, how do you ask? Now, this child is completely confused. They haven't learned about question marks, exclamation marks, full stops. They thought that was a question. Obviously, it's not a question. And they think, and they think, and they think, and they see sitting next to this person, they have a dog, and they know dogs do tricks, and they sit down on their haunches, and they put their paw up, and they say, may I have a cookie? No, 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 you need to say please. Oh, yes, okay. Please, may I have a cookie? Oh, of course you can. They hold out the cookie, and the child takes it, and now they're in a tug of war. What do you say? Please. No, not please. What do you say? Oh, uh, say thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, they're not thankful because they just went through hell to get this cookie that wasn't worth it. But eventually they pull it out of the clutches of the police and they get to eat this cookie. Can you imagine Jesus walking along the road? The woman with an issue of blood for 12 years reaches out, touches his garment, and he pauses. This happens. He pauses says, who did that? People all over the place. Who took, the, who took that healing out of me? Who in faith reached out and took something good from me without even asking? He doesn't say that, but that's what's happened. He says, I, I did. And he goes, well, you didn't say you're pleased and thank you. Give me back my healing. He commends her. He commends her faith. Well done. Well done. Have faith like this. Forget your pleases and thank yous. Just come to me and be straightforward. I'm looking straight into your heart. The next time a, ch- a kid comes and musters up the courage, as Gary said, this two-foot nothing little thing walks over to a bearded ogre and says, may I have one of your cookies? I commend your faith. Yes, you can have two cookies. Go along. You wonderful example of asking. You wonderful example of of having faith. Go to God like you just went to me. God looks at our heart. And He loves us being honest and straightforward. He doesn't need us to start with scripted prayers. Our Father... Hallowed be your name. We come to the table. Dearest Lord of heaven above. Immediately our children are lost. Dad never speaks like this. What the heck is going on? No. Our food, we come to the table. Father, thank you for everything you've provided for us to eat. You are off the charts amazing. 
not only have we had an incredible day, but here we sit as a family again before another meal. We just had one yesterday and two in between. But here we are again, eating again. You are ridiculous. Thank you so much. Let's eat. Children, learn to be straightforward. Learn to be a child again. And learn to open up your heart and just speak to your father. I told you, if you don't have a good prayer life and you're nervous about it, God can encourage you this morning because it's easy to go back to being a child. And the last point I want to make. is that families have stories. And our story about our brother is a story we have to tell ourselves every day. We have to tell others all the time that our brother, our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Father sent him from heaven to come into this world And Jesus said this, an interesting thing. He said, I and the Father are one. And there's numerous times where Jesus says, I can do do nothing of my own. I can only do that which the Father shows me. Uh, I, I have no will of my own. I only will to do the Father's work. Jesus and the Father were one. They were united. There was no separation in their relationship. It was the perfect example of Son and Father. Until one prayer in history changed everything. Jesus is on the cross. And until that point, even when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Even then he gets up with his own will to die on the cross. Why? Because his will was the Father's will. At one time he said, the Father, the work I do is the Father in me doing it." It, it. Complete unity until on the cross. Jesus says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in eternity, the Father and the Son are separated. And they are not in union. And prayer is quiet. And Jesus feels like he's a baby in a basket being dropped at an orphanage. And he's crying out, Father, Father, why are you doing this? Why are you leaving me here? Across the orphanage door is the sign, death. Father, why are you leaving me here? And the father walks away. Leaving his son at the orphanage. And Jesus becomes just like all of us. And loses the relationship that he has. You know, it's the first time in Jesus' life that he feels what humanity feels all the time. The pain of not being close to God is what people live with all the time. And Jesus feels that for, a, for the first time in history and cries out. It's so alien, it's so wrong. But inside of this orphanage, inside of this death, with all of us, with all humanity, all the orphans, no life, no father, no one to cry out to. He sees the father return. Here comes the father with life. The doors of the orphanage fling open. 
Light shines everywhere. The baby is brought to life. Jesus is brought to life, resurrected life. And he comes out, and as he's walking out of this orphanage of death and separation from God, he turns around to all of us orphans and says, come with me. Come with me to my father's house. Come home. Let my father be your father. Because he has faced our death, we can have his life. And he invites us in to a relationship with the father, where he and the father are one. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Ask, seek, knock. And I will give you my spirit to be with you. doesn't matter what you've done this week. doesn't matter how you feel this week. The only reason we go to the Father is because Jesus has turned around with resurrected life and said, come with me. And those who come with me through faith, those who place their faith in me, the Father adopts you into his family. You're not his servants or slaves. You are his children. And when you speak to him, say, Father.